Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. And next month, we're going to be rolling out a new series titled uh, Connections Planning's Role in Effectiveness. We're going to have nine, you know, kind of similar to what we did with our Future Proofing or Strategy Department series. We're going to have nine top connections strategy leads from top U.S. agencies, including BBDO New York, TBWA Shite LA, Annex 88 in New York, Publices, we're going to have Droga 5 New York on, Johannes Leonardo, uh, and Wyden and Kennedy. Uh, we're going to have their lead strategy, comms strategy, connection strategy, whichever label you use for it. God, you know we're so brutal at labels. Uh, we're going to have them on the show. And it's going to be a panel discussion format like we did before. We're going to have three guests uh, per episode. So what's the point of the uh, series? The goal is to really uh, better understand this sort of specialized practice within strategy and to tease out its role in elevating the performance and effectiveness of campaigns. This is not brand strategy, it's not media strategy, it's not social strategy, but connections where planners look to define the unexpected ways and places or moments that the campaign idea can come to life in order to better serve and improve its effectiveness. So uh, excited and look for that in the next couple of weeks where we'll be launching the first episode. Meanwhile, here's a clip from today's episode. If you look at the sort of standard American approach, it's, you know, creativity is a huge driver of success, which it is. But what's missing versus the international school of thought is, and effectiveness sits as one of the pieces alongside excess share of voice, distinctive assets, multimedia mix, you know, as the, as the key components. But it, you almost get this sort of discussion, uh, sort of a unidimensional discussion of the power of creativity in the US, whereas elsewhere you get it. Yeah, it's one of the important factors, maybe the most important one we can control, but it sits alongside those, you know, dozen other moving pieces that we, we assemble when we put together the campaign. That's Mark Ritson, columnist, professor of marketing and strategic advisor. Mark's column in Marketing Week this week caused a stir by suggesting that the U.S. marketing industry has fallen behind the rest of the world in terms of its understanding and acceptance of marketing effectiveness principles. Now, our show does its best to feature many of the most effective campaigns in the world, and many of them come from right here in the U.S. And I want to point out, as we do in this episode, that the there is a lot of great stuff that's done here, um, but we are the largest ad market in the world, and thousands of campaigns are produced each year. The problem is that most of them are terrible. So why is that? Is it a lack of resources? Is it a lack of ambition? Is it a lack of taste? Is it a lack of knowledge? Do we adhere to the belief that effectiveness principles stand in the way of creativity, so we should ignore them? Uh, are we that comfortable with wasting money? Uh, or do we just not believe in effectiveness principles? Maybe it's all of the above, but I do think there needs to be more of a conversation here in the U.S. about, about recognizing that uh, effectiveness principles can make a significant difference, both short and long term, in how we generate results for our clients. Yes, many of us, as I said, do great work, and we have great you know shows such as the Work Awards for Effectiveness. We have the Effies, and we have the Four A's uh, Jay Shiat Awards. 
but they reflect a small percentage of the campaigns that the U.S. produces each year. So there's a lot of upside. Now, is this a uniquely American dynamic? No. We're not saying that all of the work done in other parts of the world, particularly the UK and Australia, et cetera, where a lot of these effectiveness principles originate from, um, they're also doing a lot of crap work. So it's not just an American issue, but we can all do far better for our clients and for our industry. And I think we must if we're serious about building our clients' businesses. So here's my my conversation. I recorded it just this past Wednesday with Mark Ritson since it was pretty timely. Enjoy. Hi there, my name's James Herman and I'm what's known as a distinctive asset, which is something that makes people think immediately of a certain brand, like the Golden Arches make people think of McDonald's or the Swoosh makes people think of Nike. When the most effective marketing and advertising people hear me, they think of the Master of Advertising Effectiveness brand. The Master of Advertising Effectiveness is a six-week online program in partnership with Walk where I'll give you a next-level understanding of how to make advertising that creates consistently better commercial results. One important ingredient is distinctive assets, like me. And me being here on this ad is one of the many reasons this campaign is the most effective advertising campaign in the world. Confused? You won't be when you become a master of advertising effectiveness. Get started at mae.academy. That's mae.academy. Mark had listened to um, our series recently on uh, future-proofing your strategy department, where we had a number of chief strategy officers from agencies around the country. And um, that sort of mark uh, contributed to your article uh, this week. Can you can we start off by sort of summarizing that article and what your feelings were? Yeah, so it's certainly been a thought in my head for a while. Uh, and often my columns are, you no, know, they brew for a bit and then they sort of pop out like pustules, you know, and um, I'd been thinking about it for a while. And then I listened to your, it's an excellent three-part series as well, by the way. And and the, thank you. the guests were great. The, the, don't, don't get me wrong. I wasn't criticizing any of the guests who were, as usual, terrific. But at one or two points in that series, I think partly because I think you, you, we'll get to your perspective on this in a moment as well. Um, you sort of cued them with, you know, well, what's going on with effectiveness? You know, there's a lot more talk about it in other places. And each time w- there was a very clear, very coherent, but I felt completely incorrect pushback from your guests that, sure, effectiveness is fine in the US. We're doing it great. It's not, it's different, but it's, and I thought that's just not true. You know, it, 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 it is, there is a lag, a very clear lag that I've experienced for a decade and 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 it sort of finally spurred me to write the column, which in a nutshell essentially says, I love America, I grew up in America, I was trained in America, America is where marketing comes from. But over the last certainly decades, there's a clear disparity between the the qual not the not the specific examples, but the overall quality and knowledge of advertising effectiveness, particular in American companies that's noticeable. And that was really what the column was saying. I don't even really try and explain it too much because I'm not sure what the reasons are. But I talked about it and I knew it would go off and, and it did then promptly go off into a various debates that have sprung up around the internet, which is great. Yeah, so for me, from the the from the series, and I th- this comes up a lot in conversations. Now, now, let's start off by saying that this isn't a conversation about effective work and work that isn't effective. The, the, the idea here is effective work and work that could be more effective. And there are ex- there is examples here in the U.S. of some of the best marketing in the world. It still exists. 
Um, but it is not it is not common. And so my point of view is that um, having come up through small and large agencies here in the U.S., that there are tens of thousands of brands and companies and marketers and B two B and B two C and in all and in all segments that um, that are doing work that could be far more effective if they sort of followed some shared principles. And and this isn't about, in my mind, it's not about an ideology. It's not about everybody following the same direction, because I think that's what Americans are afraid of. I think there's a, there's a fear of formulas. It's about a commitment to um, effective work at every stage in the process. And for me, there is tons of what we believe to be empirical evidence out there of, of there's, there's certain, certain things that you can do. And you can talk more to this than I can that can increase your odds of, of effectiveness. Uh, and, uh, I, I would just want to, I want to see more of that here. I don't see evidence of it, uh, in a broad enough space. That's right. I mean, I think it's. Again, let's underline the fact that I was very careful with the article to make it not an anti-American rant, which you do get. You know, I was very clear that America had given me everything, really. And second, to your point, it wasn't there isn't any good work in America. America shit. I mean, you just look at McDonald's as a singular example of effectiveness. The language and the system and the culture of of what makes for effectiveness it is very lacking, I think, in the United States, to your point. And what do we mean by that? We we don't mean that there's a book that everyone must follow. And I, you know, I personally don't believe in marketing science. I think that's far too um, didactic a principle. But there are law-like principles that most you know senior marketers and advertising people adhere to. Australia, UK, New Zealand, for sure. Jesus, even Canada. Um, that I, I just see lacking in in the United States. And and I think it does come through in the work in the sense that if you're old enough to remember the 80s, the US, by dint of being five, ten times the size of the UK or Australia, the network effects of all those companies and the scale meant that all, I mean, 90% of good marketing examples, great advertising examples came from the US. And that's not the case anymore. It doesn't mean there's nothing coming out of the US, but I do think America's behind because I do think they lack the language and understanding of the basic effectiveness principles. And I think I think over here, I think we're really as an industry, the industry side of the creative agency side of this industry, I think we're afraid of this because we think it's going to be formulaic and and there has been formulas to the way work has been done over the decades here and it involves testing it involves the prescriptive suggestions of researchers who have tested work it involves the opinions of various people um but this isn't about a formula as you say and even if even if it's this idea of replacing the way things are done now then that's not a bad idea in my opinion right no, i mean that's it's fair. Idea. That's fair. yeah it's it's a lot of work and by evidence that's been that that's come out of many different corners the majority of what we're doing is below par and that has implications on a business and there is some data to support this right not a lot because it's it's a hard one to measure. I talked to the guys at System One, and yeah, there is, if you compare UK and US advertising performance, 
there is a, a, a significant minor but significant uh, deficit with the average quality of American work. And the team there point out the American audiences tend to be more forgiving and generous in how they assess work. And even with that caveat, the, the, the brand building and performance aspects are significantly underperforming UK. Um, and interestingly, there's a lot more really bad work. It really clusters around underperforming work. So there's a bit of evidence there. I think the other two points of evidence more anecdotally were the comments to my column are probably more interesting than the column itself. A lot of Americans chiming in and, and not disagreeing, most of them. And the few that did disagree were saying, well, what do you mean by effectiveness? And I politely said to them, you wouldn't ask that question if you were based in London or Sydney because <laughs> right, you, exactly. you're kind of making my point. What, what do you mean when you use this word effectiveness? So maybe we should pin it down a little bit tighter. So that, you know, it, to your point, there isn't a single prescriptive approach. It comes out of How Brands Grow, one of the two seminal books of the last 10 years, and then the long and the short of it, monograph and subsequent work from Field and Burnett, and then a whole satellite of other thinkers that have emerged around the periphery and contributed quite a bit as well. And if you wanted to you know, bundle it up into a few things, I think you've got to factor in the the, the stuff on the briefing and, and the power of, of correct briefing. A lot of stuff on budgeting, specifically centering around excess share of voice. Then there's the long and the short of it. And the the long and the short of it is more than just 60, 40, go long, 40% go short. There's a huge ramifications for how you target, how you use emotion in that work that, that I think most people adhere to. There's all the stuff that comes out of analytic partners and others about media mix and integrating the mix in the correct way. There's all the distinctive uh, assets, codification stuff, the Jenny Romanyuk work, which I think is crucial. There's all the stuff that comes out of System 1 in particular on creative execution and what makes for the right kinds of narrative. There's another tranche of work about emotion and the role of emotion, even though it's in decline, the impact that emotion has. There's another suite of work on pre-testing and a real sea change in how we approach C-testing, uh, sorry, pre-testing. Um, there's all the stuff on econometrics, measurements, brand lift, and, and how we use that in, in thinking about our work. And then most recently, there's the stuff on wear out, which yeah. has gigantic implications in the sense that wear out doesn't actually exist for the most part. And we are now on a very different path to how, you know, what the cadence of good advertising looks like. And probably the other one is the, you know, optimizing for reach over frequency with media. Uh, one more is probably attention as well. Attention. Yeah, metrics. I think I think that's huge. Um, so, so Any more? Have I, missed, have I missed anything? What do you think? Is there anything I, else? I, I think there is. I, I think there's. I've been fascinated by what Adam Morgan and Peter Field have been talking about recently. And for those who want to listen to a, a great episode of the Uncensored CMO from John Evans, uh, it's titled "The Extraordinary Cost of Being Dull." <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and the yeah. idea there, they're 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 um. They're suggesting, I think Adam Morgan has his own show also where he's doing a whole series on this. But the idea is, from a data perspective, they're saying that, System 1, I think, is reporting this, $68 billion in wasted work based on being, being dull and unnoticed and unmemorable. Which, yeah, that which, first rule is you've got to notice or that all bets are off, basically, yeah. And and then I think the other the other thing for me, which is a big thing, is platform fit of creative. Mm -hmm. And yeah. th there was something I read today 
Tom, I would think it was yesterday, maybe Tom Roach quoted a, uh, a study from CreativeX that said that more than 50% of media budgets, digital media budgets, are wasted on ads that are not fit for the platform. This repurposing of creative and feeling that you can take and cut down a, a, a 60 second spot and throw it on TikTok is so ridiculous. And I I've think seen that's the same, lazy I've seen marketing. the same thing. Yeah, I do a lot of work now with YouTube and the same thing. YouTube have got great data on if you, you know, one of their big advice points to clients is don't take the tv 30 second ad and cut it down and use it as a pre-roll it, it you know they've got very clear data that, that that just doesn't work so i think that's a good one too yeah that that idea that creative drives media choice to some degree but also media choice dictates creative yeah that intersection with and again we should point out to those that aren't familiar with the literature these just sound like you know little ideas and stuff what behind each one of these is literally 10 years of research empirical work that that does direct us into a, a certain point and i think one of the criticisms of one of your guests on the series was it's all good theory but but we have to do work in practice but you know i have to tell you it's empirical but it's empirical work to support all of the you know all of these things we just talked about have very specific directional advice and they're all built on really not perfect but really good uh empirical rather than not just experimental but real world data and i think that that's a point that you know we need to add to this this isn't you know it isn't a, a bunch of people in white coats making stuff up in a classroom and in fact i think that's one of the strengths of this golden era of effectiveness is the business schools have become largely irrelevant in my lifetime and I think all of that has a downside the upside is we now have practical theorists like sharp like peter field who don't talk to MBA students in a classroom in an ivory tower. They talk to everyone through the mass reach of social media. And I, I think that's a big part of what's been the revolution that's been happening outside of the US is it's happening through LinkedIn. You know, we we learn we all learn from LinkedIn. And what's you know, it, it really is an exciting time, I think, because we've never been we've never been so switched on. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um we went into this weird kind of long-term recession that we're in but for the first time in my lifetime um we went in with pretty good effectiveness principles of how you manage through a recession you know you maintain brand spend because you come out the other end with significant excess share of voice and you, you build your brand after the recession and and there's tons of data on that we've had data like that for 100 years but for the first time it had become democratized and marketers knew about it now whether they maintain budgets is a is a different question right but they knew what the playbook was and i you know i've lived through three or four big recessions in my career and this was the first one where most good marketers knew what the playbook was and that's that's the kind of thing that i think we're missing in the states is that widespread knowledge base that does exist in pockets but isn't so widespread uh, over there so one of the points that that Tom Morton, who's uh, chief strategy officer, global chief strategy officer for RGA, he was on our series. Uh, one of the points he brought up, which I think is unfortunately uh, true, hmm. is that we suffer in in the American market from a not invented here bias. Yeah. That you know the the fact is that this the work coming out of all the the folks that you mentioned earlier is primarily coming out of uh, Europe, the UK, and um, New Zealand and Australia, and there's just not the strong voices that are getting the airtime uh, in the US. We don't 
maybe they're out there. And I've tried to find some, as I've mentioned many times in the show, and I, I have talked to a couple of people, but we need something homegrown that reflects that, or we need a movement that is begins to be driven by some organization. I mean, Warwick is, is good and it's coming here to the U.S. It's becoming more well-known and that's a, a phenomenal aggregator of this con- con- content. Um, we need more of that. I think, yeah, we do. W- w- Warwick will have a go and I think there's a good opportunity for them too and they, they may well pull it off. We've got to mention the work of LinkedIn who are probably the exception and that that's down to two people essentially, right? So um, if you look at uh, uh, John Lombardo and Pete Weinberg, who are who who are senior B two B marketers at LinkedIn, run the the B two B marketing institute there. Yeah, what they've been doing for two or three years is essentially, in the nicest possible way, stealing all of this effectiveness literature, plugging it into sort of applying it to B two B cases, and then sharing it out across the LinkedIn client world. And and the impact there has been huge too. So they they deserve a mention. I think to your point though, I'll give you a good example of where we're missing the voices. So I regard Scott Galloway as, a, I'll give you a, a really decent estimation, as about 10 times smarter than me, right? He's 100 times richer. He's 10 times smarter, taller, better looking. But you, more have, you, have more, you have more hair than him. I have more hair, but he suits it, man. He suits it. Right? <laughs> um, so, look, generally, I'm, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan. I've known him for a long time. I think he's amazing. I easily know 10 times more about brand building and effectiveness than Scott, in my opinion, even though I regard him as my superior in everything else. And that's symptomatic, I think, of, you know, our, your, you know America's great marketing thinker has to be Galloway, but Galloway's really not a marketing thinker. I mean, no, he's, no, I agree. He's I totally bigger and broader that. than that, right? And I love him for it, but he's really not. It's not in this area, right? It's the culture of business, almost that he's. Yeah, to, which uh, kind of tells you something, right? It tells you something when your your number one marketing name is is not on it. Do you know what I mean? He, he he's broader than that, and maybe that's part of it too. I don't know, but I think you're right. When Tom was talking on your podcast, and he's an exceptional ad guy. His point's probably, un- unfortunately, true that this sort of American exceptionalism, if it's not you know, about a company from Chicago or LA, if it talks about jam, not jelly, and if it mentions Carrefour rather than Whole Foods, I can't really get my head around it. I think that's A, probably true, but B, really fucking pathetic as well. It's understandable, though, because I think that historically we've always thought that English culture was different than American culture. English entertainment and influences uh, were very different. But that has all changed, man. Some of the best work that's been done in the U.S. is done by agencies outside the U.S. And uh, and there's a a universality to popular culture now that that was not in place a decade two decades ago social media has curated this democratization of popular culture and so we're all exposed to the same uh, there's a sameness of culture let's say overall so these things can be applied but but again it's tough to make the case to a a, a somewhat skeptical senior marketer or senior cfo in the u.s that the stuff that's done based upon the analytics of the APG and IPA databases in the UK is is um, sort of projectable to the US. I get that. We need to be doing a better job of doing an analysis based upon US companies and find the commonality from the analysis of, of companies outside the US. And if it is universal, and if it is 
uh, empirical, it should come out the same. And I'm, I'm pretty confident it would. Yeah, no, I, I wonder whether one of the things that will come out of this debate is maybe, I think you and I have both been waiting f- f- for the effectiveness stuff to kind of seep into American marketing by osmosis. I suspect that isn't ever going to happen. And instead, I think you almost have to label it as the international school of effectiveness and then make American marketers aware, you know, not that they're not brilliant, but there's a cheap sheet of amazing developed mature empirically backed insights that will make you more money you know what i mean but i think we almost have to label it now as the international school and and give people access to it in an accessible form what whatever that may look like right i don't i don't see why american marketers have to piece it all together like we've all been piecing it together for 10 years that you know there, there has to be james herman's got that course in advertising for example it depends on American marketers, as you say, they're reaching out, accepting that there is stuff to be learned outside of the US. And I think accepting that it doesn't come out of universities anymore, which is a tough one because Americans, you know, to their benefit in in the 20th century, really had that positivist view of, I'll go to university and learn my trade, and then I'll go and do it. And I think that might, that may be to their detriment now because the great work, with a few exceptions, is certainly not coming out of business schools anymore. Yeah, one of the one of the things I was thinking about earlier, I remember um, a number of years ago, I spent a lot of time thinking about corporate responsibility in the automotive category. And there was this whole transition to more fuel-efficient vehicles and 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 this whole topic of of um of sustainable business and one of the lines that came out of that was this idea of uh, and it's a common common line now which is doing well by doing good yeah and there was this idea that you can have a very profitable business by doing good in the world or making having a positive impact in the world so you were sort of you were sort of addressing the cfo and the brand people in a simple statement there's also a part of me that thinks that effectiveness is really about minimizing waste. There's such an, a massive amount of money that's been wasted. It's almost like there needs to be that left and right brain conversation about it's not that we're 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 we're, we're propagating this philosophy of effectiveness. Yeah. It's about we're trying to reduce the amount of money that we waste. <laughs> well, I know I like I, I like that point of view. The other the alternative to it, which which is complementary, is it's also not about curing cancer in the sense that people will often say to me, especially in the UK, they'll go, you know, well, the state of marketing. And I said, look, who cares, man? Like this is a competitive game, right? We're not all we're not scientists trying to, you know, remove the world of cancer. We we're our objective is for some of us to win at the expense of others. It's a competitive market. So the other way to approach so you're right. You can reduce generally reduced ad waste and investment. But you can also see it as being a few American companies can get hold of this, apply it to their businesses and win as a result. We don't need everyone to get better. We just need a few companies to get it, you know, with a more uh, tangible approach to effectiveness as developed elsewhere, and they will prosper from this, right? This is a proven literature. It's not, it's not a belief statement, right? This shit really does work, you know. So where are the where I, I like? I, I'm curious about this, and I've been curious about this for a while, and, and I'm being critical, but trying not to be too critical. Where is the voice of the effies? Ah, all, interesting. All, 
where where I, th- these they're quiet. I, I don't mean uh, reacting to your article, but in general, I who's going to be the organization behind pushing this throughout American you know, American market culture? Tracy Alford that runs the Effies has been a- after this for a while, right? She's very impressive. I suspect she's running into the same uh, challenges that we all are. But the Effies are at least a way that we could get into the American. It's kind of like the Trojan horse that would allow us to get more into the American mindset. You raise a good point. But Effies are international. I'm going to Mexico next week, right, for the Mexican Effies to talk about effectiveness with the top Mexican companies. So I would say to you, the Effies are there. It's just, again, in the United States, they're not... (laughs) it's not as as part of the the discussion isn't as strong as it is in places like mexico city it's it's a bizarre time you know yeah it's like i i i i'm a big fan of work as an organization and, and just yeah. for to be open work is is a sponsor of our show but i've i've got to say that i've always been puzzled by the effies because the effies to me it feels like it's the academy awards in other words it's just feels like it's an award show yeah, but, yeah. But, I mean, it, but behind that organization, I'm sure there is a there is there is an educational intent, but it's not yes. obvious. We did it. Look for the fiftieth of the Effies a few years back. I did a sort of case series on YouTube. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love the that. greatest hits, right? But you're right. There could be more there. I mean, I know the IPA in the UK, which is the equivalent of the Effies, just for the UK. Um, they have a again a case library and and. But, you know, I've got to tell you, it didn't come out of IP. It came out of Peter and Les, Field and Burnett, more than it came out of even the IPA. You know what I mean? It came out of thinkers spreading the spreading yeah. their thinking. Thing. But I agree, the Effies could play a, an important role in this, given they are, you know, if you ever read an Effie submission, what's stunning is how, how rigorous they are about it, right? So there is, in the Effie submissions, a real rigor in studying it, but I suspect it will reflect the lack of clarity on effectiveness in the US that we're talking about here, there, there won't be as many clear effectiveness points being made in those submissions, I bet. We shouldn't fear that this is about pushing a rational approach to marketing. It's not. It's just about saying, hey, if there are things that have a, le- a higher level of, of assurance of working, if you tweak this or did this, why not do that? It doesn't change that creative idea has to be practical. It just means that it could actually make creative work even better because, because as the research has shown, great creative ideas are a force factor, a multi-force factor in effectiveness, right? Yeah, I mean... Quality of idea. It's a good call out. If you look at the sort of standard American approach, it's, you know, creativity is a huge driver of success, which it is. But what's missing versus the international school of thought is... And effectiveness sits as one of the pieces alongside excess share of voice, distinctive assets, multimedia mix, you know, as as the key components. But you almost get this sort of discussion, uh, sort of a unidimensional discussion of the power of creativity in the US, whereas elsewhere you get it. Yeah, it's one of the important factors, maybe the most important one we can control, but it sits alongside those you know dozen other moving pieces that we we assemble when we put together the campaign so yeah you you see it there you see, you really see i think often that that discussion is is frankly weaker in the states versus the more complexity that goes on elsewhere i would love to think that we could approach cfos because everybody's been making the case for the last two years about how do we approach a cfo 
and get more money. And you and I have had this conversation in our effectiveness series last year. Yeah. How do you approach a CFO and how do we understand the the, the shared language, et cetera? Well, I know, I know this, right? So um, <clears throat> because we always talk about it, you and I have talked about it before, um, and I call it the question, right? And it, it, I'm not exaggerating. It comes up here and in everything I ever do. Asked always in a slightly different way, but it's always asked basically with the same intent, which is I get the message of brand building and effectiveness, but my CFO, organization, whatever, don't. How do I convince them? And so I got so sick of being asked the question and really not having an answer. I, I reached out to uh, six CMOs of big companies. I kept them anonymous. And I said, look, I know you went into a company that was underspending on brand, wasn't very advanced with its understanding of effectiveness, and yet you've managed to get the right investment. You've pulled it off. You've been successful. How did you do it? Not the execution, but how did you manage to do this investment belief thing that everyone wants to know? And what what they all told me was remarkably uniform, right? And it basically went down to you need a remit before you even start this to do it. And often that came from being hired to fix it. But in other cases, you have to make the case. The other and the other two things that came up is you've really got to be adept at managing up, which most marketers aren't. And the other huge point was stop using arguments to invest in brand that convince you, but don't convince the rest of the organization. You know, the CFO, the head of HR don't care about differentiation, right? So what are the what are the you know, you're not marketing your argument by thinking about what's important to the target here. You're you're making arguments that convince you. And so I think it's, yeah, it's th this literature certainly helps with the CFO. And there are good examples where the CMO of Lidl in the UK um, started around the same time as the CFO, and they got together, and and she shared with him the, the work on excess share of voice, which is, I don't want to say scientific, but certainly rigorous. And he got it and said, well, let's work on that. Let's see how we can get you more money so we can get to the right level of investment to have a proper impact, which will drive more revenue. And um, and they promptly did it. So I think, yeah, there, there's an argument that says when you want to manage up and across and you want to convince the effectiveness literature, you know, I, I'm I'm not a fan of econometrics. I must be the only one left, right? I still think it's 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 largely bingo. I mean, and my proof point is if we get three econometric assessments of the same campaign, I'll get three different numbers, right? Um, I understand why we're using it. And my point to a lot of marketers is you can use econometrics kind of as a magical time machine to say, right, here we are, having studied now and the past, this is what we should do going forward with very complex regression. We can plan where to go forward. Or you could just look at other companies in and around your category and what they've done from the effectiveness literature, import those lessons and just rely on them and just make the decisions that way. That's a lot more convincing, I think, to a CFO, rather than some hokey-pokey econometric numbers that even the market is not con fully convinced of and doesn't feel confident about. Pulling out you know, the, the field and Burnett data or these other empirical sources we've now got all over the place and showing a CFO when companies do X, why happens is exactly the thing we need for, for I think, for organizational traction. So that, yeah, there's absolutely that argument too, which is internally, you've now got a raft of data points instantly at your disposal to use to convince the rest of the organization in, in, in the validity of what you're doing. And, and 
you know, in thinking about what we've just talked about here in this conversation, there's almost two sides of the coin. There's the CFO that you could approach and make that that argument to, the one you just talked about talked us through. But then there's also the flip side to what we talked about earlier, which is approaching the CFO with the idea that with this sort of shared uh, shared sort of language of effectiveness, that we can dramatically reduce waste. You know, because you could you could certainly make the case that given all the data that comes along with the effectiveness story and the philosophy and the underpinnings of it all, there is this major implication of minimizing waste and making making that part of what uh, making the case is for. It's like doing better work in order to reduce waste. And I know the risk is that people will go, oh, you can just have the same budget and therefore just be less wasteful. That's right. That's right. I, I worry about that too, but I, I think it's the idea that we can, I think what's bubbling up is the idea, and there's just this energy around it recently, which is that um, with greater understanding of what's happening in digital media, what's happening in creative uh, in creative work in terms of platform fit, attention metrics with amplified intelligence, um, Karen Nelson Field is terrific in that space uh, with dull work and the work that's been done there with just sort of realizing that that we need to fine tune our creative execution so that they're actually noticed. Yeah. And look, as you're talking, I'm thinking, how do we fix it then? How do we at least offer Americans that are open to this, you know, the chance? And I think, yes, someone like Walk should put together an international effectiveness conference where we get sharp. Romanyuk, Field, Binet, James Herman, you know, um, get those kind of speakers in. And not, not to, uh, the danger with all those speakers is they quite understandably want to talk about new stuff. What we should kind of pay them to do is just do their basic stuff so we can catch open minded Americans up to speed quickly. Do you know what I mean? There's a real, op- I mean, it happened, I'll tell you, it happened once before. When I was a very junior uh, postdoc at Wharton, um, there was a movement just coming to an end called the Consumer Research Odyssey. And, and marketing academia had been dominated by quant methodologies for a long time. And a whole bunch of great junior uh, marketing professors, this is late 80s, put together what they called the Odyssey. And they basically van and drove around america doing qual methodologies and then publishing it in the in the marketing journals of the time it was elizabeth uh hirschman morris holbrook john sherry who were all at the top schools who were all quant who went no no we're going to do purely qual stuff and it was a movement that to this day had an impact on the way that marketing knowledge was was built we need something similar and i don't think it's going to happen through temporary gradual osmosis I think it needs a you know some form of formative uh, event publication that should be made available. And yeah, there's a little bit of friss on there because Americans don't like being told you're a bit shit at this, right? Even when it's said lovingly <laughs> and with respect, right? They don't. No culture handles it well, but Americans handle it particularly badly, right? But I think that might be what it takes to say, okay, come to a four day convention hosted by the Effies, sponsored by Walk, featuring Field, Burnett, Romanyuk, Sharp, Herman, you know, uh, Nelson Field, etc. And then at the end of the four days, if you haven't, you know, emerged with a whole new th- thinking system that that really, you know, rebuilds how you approach things, we'll give you your money back. Do you know what I mean? I love what uh, Tom Roach posted this week in, in response to your article. I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> I you that. saw it, yeah? yeah? So his thing was, 
and it, it makes a lot of sense because the the I think the 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 um the voices that you just articulated, Ben Field and Sharp, et cetera, uh, I think they work uh, uh, for the more progressive marketer who wants to listen to that. But you're not going to get the rest of the C-suite listening to that audience. But what you would get them listening to is a sort of a, as Roach said, Tom Roach said, why. You need like a Jeff Bezos type guy to come out and talk about the fact of that he can make the case for um, for more effective marketing, its ability to do so much for a brand, its ability to reduce waste, and its voices like Bezos and Scott Galloway you touched upon earlier. You almost want that from a higher business level rather than a marketing level to come out with this idea of a new clarion type call to say this is this has to be part of our agenda going forward. I mean, I think the closest you get is Mark Pritchard at P&G. I think he's embraced a lot of the Ehrenberg Bass principles. But I think that's that's a problem, right? Because I don't think it, it is a specialist literature, okay? And I don't think, you know, what did Bezos give us? He gave us a couple of core, really different principles, consumer obsession. You know, he 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 demonstrated that. This is, this is Mark. I mean, and again, I don't want to undercut Galloway's genius or cleverness i think this is too specialist a literature for galloway i don't think he's going to delve into this you know i think the business generalists that dominate america are one of the reasons we're not getting more exposure to the more specialist effectiveness literature because it, you know it's not rocket science but it, it ain't straightforward either you know what i mean i think when you're not going to get a general business person discussing the vagaries of you know excess share of voice pre-testing etc this is the one point, though, where you've really got to go at the American mindset and say, look, I mean, in my unfortunate terminology of the column, you've got to pull your ethnocentric finger out of your ass here, America, and you've got to accept that this data is pulled from multiple countries, not much from America, but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It, it, the bar charts are bar charts. You know what I mean? It isn't going to be different in the U.S., Let's not redesign experiments just so we can show it also applies to the U.S. Let's just accept that, you know, the internationalism isn't a weakness of the work. It, you know, it isn't all data coming out of Sweden or the U.K. Do you know what I mean? It's coming out of all kinds of sources. If it doesn't have American cases, I, I don't think it's going to work. If that's the case, and you're you're not the first person to tell me that, I, I think we, we may have an issue, right, in the sense that, we can turn, rec I mean, I guess what we're saying then is not just an international conference, but we need to basically find a, a case study for each of the main effectiveness principles set in the U.S. to make the point. I mean, I, I suppose you're making me think I could do that working with with the uh, with the Effies. We could find those cases. Mm, okay, that's 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 me thinking out loud. But yeah, okay, that's that. If we really need it, and you're telling me we do, we got to find us a case study for each of the main effectiveness points. Okay, I'll take that on board. I've got to bring up one more before we go, though, which yeah. I think we have to talk about. So I think the, the whole purpose obsession and its particular uh, obsession in the United States also got in the way of effectiveness over the last decade. I don't think it's a coincidence that our growing obsession with purpose, socioeconomic purpose for our work, did obscure to some degree the focus on effectiveness, which came up around the same time, you know, and I think we're now in a post-purpose world for most brands. And what I mean by that, if you look at Unilever's recent announcements, P&G's change, what I mean is not that we shouldn't have purpose, but the idea, you know, the, the immature idea that purpose will make us lots of money and help our brands grow 
has now been put to one side. And I think mature perspectives now dominate uh, basically that put the purpose of purpose is purpose. And if we're going to, if we're going to have these purpose driven agendas, it's because we believe in them and they may cost us money. I think now that that's evolved a bit more, it frees us up to then look back at the work and say, right, the goal here isn't to right the following wrongs. It, it, it's to have effective advertising again. And I think that is an important change that will help to some degree. I don't know if you're seeing that in the States, though. Are you seeing a maturity now about purpose that we were lacking three, four years ago? I think that a lot of people have been looking for a way to get out of it, but they've sort of been feeling that clients have wanted it, and it's been a sort of a client demand side. Yeah, And yeah. I, my sense is that that's changing, that there's a recognition that we ultimately have to do purpose. We can do purpose if it is a, an organic aspect of the brand, but we can't we can't force fit purpose into brands where it's not organic, and and that's the whole P and G Unilever thing. They're they're stepping away from forcing it under brands, and realizing that we're really in the business of selling products. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think it, that twinned with the recognition that you know as as Unilever are going through it now. It may not fit up for all of our brands to have a purpose agenda, and the the purpose agenda may not be a profit generating strategy, right? I think if we we can separate these things out, it brings us back to okay, we're handling purpose, we're doing this and this and this. Now, is the work effective? I think that refocusing could be important here because I did sense in America it had gone to such a degree of um, of kind of idolatry that purpose was winning all the awards, that purpose was driving everything, and effectiveness essentially was sitting in the back being forgotten about, you know? Yeah, it's hard to say no to a client who comes in with, it always used to frustrate me with the idea that somebody would come in and say, I need to understand our mission, visions, values, principles. And you're like, Jesus, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is what we want to be talking about, and this is what we're obsessing about. And uh, and I think it's the same with purpose, where people were afraid to say no, but I think now the question is being asked less. So we've got we've got a connections planning series coming up um, in December. So that's going to be a three episode series talking about the critical role of, of connections planning and effectiveness. Uh, I hope people will listen will listen to that series. Also, I would encourage them to go back and Mark, you were a part of this series too that we did a number of months back. We did a six-episode series on planning for effectiveness where we took each step in the process uh, from defining objectives all the way to executing creative and tracking metrics. And we had a lot of great thinkers as a part of that series. I'd encourage people to go back and listen to that because what, what I'm really talking about is the fact that the entire machine can work far more effectively. And um, and for others, read uh, Read, if you're not already, stay close to Mark Ritson, uh, follow him. A Marketing Week article this week was Effectiveness, Ignorance has Left American Marketing Lagging Behind the Rest of the World. Uh, Mark Ritson, columnist, professor of marketing. Check out his MBA uh, program online. And um, thank you, man, for uh, uh, carving out the time to talk about it this week. Hey, no, thank you, because it really did originate out of your podcast. And I will see you at Christmas where we'll do our top 10, eh? That is right. We will be back in a couple of weeks with that exact thing. You're right. Thank you, man. Appreciate having you tonight. Stay well. And we'll see everybody on the next episode.